Nicholas, another week down, one week closer to our inevitable deaths. But here at the Close Reading Podcast, we push on. And so today I'm going to ask you, like we always do to start our episodes, what are you watching? Well, Zachary, uh, what an opening, by the way. One week closer to death. I, I feel like death right now. Um, <laughs> I, I have been downtown for the last couple of hours. Had a couple of drinks in me. Um, I'm very upset. We're recording the night of Packers 49ers NFL NFC divisional round. Mind you, you had no dog in the fight. I don't know why you're so upset. I have all the dog in the fight. Um, this goes all the way back to Super Bowl 51. Atlanta Falcons, New England Patriots. Kyle Shanahan, uh, he's been the root of my problems for many years now. Um, I, I, would, I would say he's the root of my anxiety that I currently have today. Any, any depression I have. Was he I, with I the Falcons or with the yeah, 49ers? Yeah. I mean, the our, Patriots. He was our offensive coordinator. and You hate to see it. He's so, re- are, do you not like him now? Yeah, he's the reason. He's he's the reason why the Falcons did not win that Super Bowl. Yikes. And uh, so, I, it is anything in my power to prevent him from getting a Super Bowl with the <laughs> 49ers is my life's goal now. At this point, not even for the Falcons to win one, it's for him not to have one. And well, if this, they play, they did today. I think whoever comes out of the AFC is gonna smoke them. Well, my other fear is I hate the Baltimore Ravens. And my my worst fear is a Ravens 49ers Super Bowl. Uh, you see, I, I'm if the Bills lose tomorrow, which I've seen into the future and I, I don't I don't see a future where we win. I'm like Moira from the X-Men. I've lived <laughs> ten lives and we never win. Um We're just too beat up on defense. The defense the defense is a problem. We're not, we're, we're, we're critically wounded. I'll say, we're not even beat up. Patrick Mahomes is too good. The Bills' defense is, is just um, The only way shambles. we win that game is if we uh, we just go into the game knowing that they're going to s- potentially score on every single drive. So we have to score on every... Every time we get the ball, we have to come away with points. You're right. We should be going for it on fourth down every single drive. I, It's like I told you earlier. I texted you. No matter if it's the Bills or the Chiefs, whoever makes it out of that game, I will be cheering for immensely. Same thing. And, and look, yeah. in the NFC... The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they're my division rival. I will pray for them to beat the 49ers. But you, aren't, you, aren't you a bit of a... You got a soft spot for the Lions, though, don't you? Oh, I want the Lions to win it all. Um, but it's, it's tough. I, I know this is a lot of sports talk for a movie podcast, but you can't have Dobbs not catching early touchdown, uh, the Packers not getting the proper fourth down spot, a missed 41-yard field goal. Uh, too many chances that were missed. It was... I'm in a bad spot right now. Uh, audience members, I'm in a bad spot. Yeah, and uh, the the drinking all day has not been helping. So if this podcast is lacking in uh, quality content from uh, one Nicholas Schuff, it just know it's it's football's fault, and I don't know why I watched this game. Well, good thing I have quite a lot to talk about on this movie. <laughs> okay, well, to answer your original question, in terms of what I've been watching, uh, I, I actually did watch something. I sat myself down in the theater, and I was able to watch the Iron Claw. And boy, oh boy. No spoilers. I haven't seen it yet. They put it in my theater for about three days, and then they yanked it from me. What? That's unbelievable. Three yeah, days, was, and they yanked they it. They put it on the day after Christmas, and then by the time I was back at my, at my apartment, I was in Athens until after New Year's. It was right. gone. So it came out December 22nd, and what is crazy is there were only two showings yesterday. And the showing that I made was the nine o'clock showing. So it, it was late. Did and you go after your, after work? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. 
Dang, and, that's and, commitment. Uh, yeah, oh yeah. I'm nothing if not committed to the craft of the movie podcast. And uh, without spoilers, uh, Zac Efron deserves every accolade, every praise that any actor could ever deserve, including, and this may be the alcohol talking, he, I think he deserves an Oscar. Wow. I think I think wow. if you, I think if you have any siblings, I don't care if you're a brother, uh, a sister, but especially if you are a brother, this film is a gut punch. It it is the rewatch. I've I've heard a lot of people say there's no rewatchability factor here. I completely disagree. If you are part of a family that has siblings of any kind, this film will resonate with you, and it it. it if I classify this as a 2023 film, which you know a lot of people will say it deserves to be since it came out in 2023, it would have made my top three or four films that I saw last year. But as of now, it currently stands as my favorite film of the year, which I know is early in the year. But well, yeah, yeah, I was, I was about to say just keep it up, just keep it up. It's that good. I you you have to wow. watch it. I encourage anyone to watch it. I was so impressed, and it is oh, it's a hard film. It's hard. It'll sit with you. It's going to sit with me for a long time. Wow. Anything else you got? I have three. Go on, please. Is that sure. all you got? That's all I got. So first off, uh, to update our listeners, still doing a lot of reading. Read my Anglo-Saxons book, about 200 pages in, halfway done. Love it. I'm so proud um, of you. So I think I talked about this the last time, but I did finish Dead Man's Chest, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. Yes. Oh, and my final notes. Entirely too sexual. Okay. It didn't need to be that sexual. Okay. Um, and I think after watching it, and I, I think that the Curse of the Black Pearl was is a better film. Stop. Go back and rewatch it, and you'll know what I mean. The Davy Jones. Davy Jones is good. The CGI is still really good. It holds up really well. What an ending! The Jack Sparrow sacrifice. The Captain Barbosa return. All of it. Actually, and I will say that the, the Barbosa, it was not a post credit scene. It was the final scene. Yeah, it was like a it was like a prototype post credit scene. Um, you mean a cliffhanger? Yeah, but it was <laughs> that's the equivalent of it's a post credit scene. Yeah, it, it, it's like a Iron Man, it like is. Thor's hammer. Yes. Um, moving on to At World's End. Love that film. An absolutely horrendous film. No, stop horrendous. It. But what an epic final act. You got to think about how this is a children's movie. Mm, is it? It's it's a Disney PG-13 movie based on a ride. So you got to go into it knowing that it's geared towards more towards adolescents and children. I would say adolescents for sure, but knowing the first two films, I would not say that you know like that this is a children's Star film. Wars is their children's film. They're rated PG thirteen, but they're children's films. I think they were all PG except for Revenge of the Sith, which is PG thirteen. But all the new ones are PG thirteen. Yeah, but that's a different type of PG thirteen. Anyway, anyway. I would but, completely disagree with you there. But going into this movie, it is entirely entirely too complicated. <laughs> It's two hours and 50 minutes. It's a long film. It's too long. Yeah. And it's like pirates collecting coins to go to a gathering and then they rescue Jack and then the whole thing about Davy Jones and then the sea and... And I never understand what what happens with Calypso. I I don't get what happened there. Yeah. And then 
the love story plot is just so drawn out and just so overplayed by this point. And it, it's almost, I didn't realize how little screen time that Will and Kate actually, is that her name? No, Will and Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Will and Kate, that's, that's the prince. <laughs> um, they barely share any screen time in these three movies. Yeah, but that, man, they have that moment though. Will stabbing the heart. You think it's going to be Jack and it's Will? So fitting. I, yeah. Um, what an epic I will third say, act. A horrifically violent film. Yeah. For PG like this, thir- even for PG-13. When the girl in the beginning gets shot in the head and you see the musket ball hole. Yeah. I said, calm down a little bit. Calm down. We're, we're, we're PG-13. Calm down. It's on Disney+. Plus. Calm down. <laughs> um, and I will say right now, I will not be watching the fourth or fifth one. No. I'm, yeah, I've stopped. Stop here. Stop here. Um, but pivoting to, uh, until recently, the best movie I'd seen this year. Uh-oh. And that was 2014's Paddington. <laughs> Paddington I, the Bear. You, uh, maybe it was Mason who was telling me about this. I've I, never I seen Paddington. Yeah. And I knew that Paddington 2, for the longest time, was the highest rated film on Rotten Tomatoes. I was about to say, prepare yourself for Paddington 2 if you love this one. Um, what a lovely film. Um, it's funny. It's charming. It's endearing. It's charismatic. It's what every movie should aspire to be. Okay. If you're not like, there should be a Paddington scale that every director has to print out. And if you're not close enough to the Paddington scale, you can't make a movie. Wow. And I think they made, they used the Paddington scale when they made Paddington 2, I'm guessing. And they even, they did more Paddington in Paddington 2 than Paddington did in Paddington 1. Paddington 2 might end up being your favorite film of all time. It could be. the praise that I'm getting here because a Apparently, Paddington 2 like, is the real deal. Paddington 2, I cannot wait. And all I know about Paddington, there's a third one coming out called Paddington in Peru. But yeah. the, main, the mom that adopts Paddington is not the same actress, so that kind of bums me out. I'd scrap the whole movie if I was, if I was in charge, but or I'd write a bigger paycheck. Yeah. But anyway, just go wow. watch Paddington. I know Paddington doesn't get that much love, but Paddington is a good movie. Well, Zach is here to spread the love with Paddington. I cannot wait for you to speak on Paddington too, because I think you just might simply lose your mind, and we must. The podcast might end because there's no film that will ever top that. Um, <laughs> nothing can beat Paddington. Nothing too. can beat Paddington too. And uh, I, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, and World's End deserves to be watched by every single living being on this planet. Um, but that's all I got. We can move into uh, our question of the day. Let's do it was what movie do you want to watch for the first time again? So Nicholas, do you have you have an answer? I do. And I, I'm my answer is too simple. It's the Dark Knight. It's the Christopher Dark Nolan's two thousand eight Dark Knight. Something about that film it it made me fall in love with superheroes. Like in general, like the genre. Not even just in movies, but comic books, everything. Uh the because I because I was at such an impressionable age when I watched it, I don't know if it would hit the same like if I watched it with like virgin eyes currently, like in my age that I am now, twenty six. But that was where I like film just came together with just awesome, cool moments. That's when I realized like acting could be something more than just like a routine 
thing that people did. Like Heath Ledger's Joker was just mesmerizing. I mean, all of it, the action sequences when Batman is having to uh, essentially take the, a, a criminal from China and he's grappling to airplanes and it's, it's amazing. So that, that's my answer. I, I, I could go on and on about it, but to do that, it, it would take me an hour. So that's, that's the film that if I had to see with, for the first time again, no doubt in my mind, it's the dark. Wow. Well, Cause I said it better myself. And that was my pick too. Stop it. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say. No um, mine was 2012's Django Unchained. Really? Because I remember. I love that answer. My it because I I remember at one point last episode we said, "Tell us where you watched it and where you want to watch it," and uh, that ended up not making the the full question that I posed. Yeah, but I was at. My mom and dad tried to formulate a new Christmas tradition, and that was gonna that was going to see movies on Christmas Day. I think we only did it the one year. Yeah. Um. But that year they went. My sister and my mom went and saw Les Mis, and my dad and I went and saw Django at the uh that that new that new theater I say in 2012, the one in Winder. Oh yep, yep, yep. So we went to that one. And it was it was really the first movie that I saw in theaters that I remember thinking like, okay, there's there's more to film than than the things that I've been watching. Right. Uh, I guess Christmas 2012 was ninth grade freshman. Yep, freshman high school. Yeah. So that's my pick. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, that's a great pick. I love that. And I still I still really liked Tarantino, and that was the first one I ever saw. And then I went and from there watched all of his other stuff. Yeah, but now we can move on into the other picks that our audience put in. Yes, I'd love to hear this. Um, someone said Moulin Rouge, the musical with Ewan McGregor. Okay, that was my sister that posted that one. So, oh, okay. Um, somebody said Barbarian slash Hereditary, and I know for a fact that I recommended Barbarian to this person. So that's that's a. That's a proud moment that's right a, there. That's a shout out for me. Yeah. Um, but Barbarian is a good shout because it's really a movie that you can only watch one time. Or and then you, I bet you can watch it again, but you, then you have to watch it with someone who hasn't seen it. Um, I'm a, someone said Interstellar. Okay. 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 Um, and then we got a full answer from from someone you probably know who's gonna who wrote this. Parasite in my first apartment. La La Land at University 16, 10 p.m. showing. And then One Tree Hill again after my first heartbreak. <laughs> Who do you think wrote that? Um, I've got some ideas in my head. Okay. And then La, two La, people. La La Land is great. That's a good one, too. Two people wrote the 2007 Japanese film Big Man Japan. Two people did that? Two people wrote Big Man, Big Man Japan. Okay. For those of you who don't know, Big Man Japan is about an eccentric man living alone in a decrepit house in Tokyo, periodically transforms into a 100-foot giant in order to defend Japan against liberally-sized monsters. <laughs> I will say that I Two have seen this movie. 
yeah. And the two the, the two people that posted that, I we watched it together. Okay. It's it's an experience movie. It's pretty funny. It's like a mockumentary on like the kaiju films. I'll take your word for it there. <laughs> it's pretty funny. La La Land. That's, that's, a, that's, that's all we great. got. I, I almost put La La Land. I was like, La, La La Land would have been a good one in terms of like it subverted my expectations of what that genre is, and yeah, that's that's an excellent. That's, that's and then finally, before we get into our feature film, the poll results we're in. They're in. Ding ding ding. They're in. Eighty three point three percent say The Incredibles is better than Stand by Me. So, yeah. even if. I said it wasn't yeah. the the jury was out and hey crush. But that's it. You got anything else to add before we uh, hop into our feature of the day? No. Still sulking in my football depression. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well then we'll catch you after the break. Welcome back to the Close Screen Podcast. Today's feature presentation, INDB number 225 on our list. I think it's 226 on the other list, and then some of the other movies we have just watched have dropped down quite a bit. But today's film is Lahan. Lahan? I'm going to go with that too. It means hate in English. Um, like I said, number 225 on our list, rated an 8.1 with 192,200 votes. The film stars Vincent Cassell as Vince. Is that how they say it? Yeah, I think it's just like Vince. Vince? Yeah. Um, Saeed, is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. Saeed Tag... Uh, <laughs> Tag Maui. Ta- yes. And then basically Herbert. Yeah, Hubert, right? Hubert Kunde. As Hubert, and it was written and directed by Mateusz Kazowski. Uh, and I had it as Kasowitz. Kasowitz, Kasowitz. Yeah, you're right. Sometimes I just look at words and just <laughs> yes. just guess. I was, I was about to say, I was like, <laughs> do you do you want me to pronounce these names? He said, No, nah, I got this. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta, gotta try my language skills. Yeah. Um, and I will say, I. I was surprised that this movie wasn't nominated for any sort of Academy Award. And I even looked on the official Oscars website to make sure that IMDb wasn't wrong. In the 1995 and 1996, Best Foreign Film, and nothing there. Yeah, but, I was surprised as well. But, it did, win but a, our, it did win a lot of awards otherwise. But our director won Best Director and the Palme d'Or at Cannes Film Festival. That's right. Um, released in 1995. And the film was a smashing success in France. Opened at number one and stayed there for four weeks. And then the runtime is a quick one hour and 38 minutes. All right, Nicholas. To get started, I'm going to do something completely different. Okay. I'm doing something completely that we've never done before. Uh-oh. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. This movie might be a perfect film. And the podcast is over if we don't move this on over The Incredibles. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, I let's so talk. No, no, hold your thoughts. Hold your okay. thoughts. 
Okay. Until we're done. Yeah. But that's just, I just want to get it out there already. That you love it. That this is the a, a contemporary classic. Yeah. And should be talked amongst the greatest films of all time. So I, I was going to recommend that, and we haven't done this in quite a while. Usually we give a summary and then we just kind of bounce around. I, I was thinking for this one, as we work through this film chronologically, we really break down the moment from in chronological order from start to finish you see what i'm saying mm-hmm. so I, I'll, I'll start with this um the film opens with a uh, a montage and, and i'm taking this wording straight from the wikipedia uh, summary here to, to guide us it opens with a montage of news footage uh, depicting urban riots in this uh suburbs near paris and the thing that struck me immediately and I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go ahead and be a hypocrite with regard to what I just said about not jumping around. I felt like this film <laughs> did just from the from the jump and then throughout. It reminded me a little documentary style. Mm-hmm. Um, and, very, and very very French New Wave ish. Yes, yes, and, and so immediately it grabs you right with the idea of sort of the the nude footage depicting all of the the police brutality, the the rioting that's going on, and. Uh, essentially, the, the premise of the film begins with after this riots take place, this individual named Abdel, uh, and his last name I, I don't know, even know if I can pronounce it. Uh, Ijaha. He's only he's only referred to by his first name. You're right. Uh, he's uh, severely beaten by the police, um, and he is in the hospital. He's in intensive care, and we don't know if he's going to make it. And after the, these riots take place in the suburbs of this, this Paris neighborhood, uh, a, a group of individuals had stormed a police station, and in the process, uh, a police officer lost a revolver. I believe it was a, a Weston and, and Smith. And so the film opens with these three individuals. It is uh, Saeed, Hubert, and Vince. And so we follow them um, through what it's a process of just over 24 hours it's like a day and a night day and a half something along those lines so immediately the film does a really good job of establishing sort of what what we are going to be partaking in right as audience members right how we're going to digest this i love the use of the the time stamps to highlight Mm -hmm. the period the time the movement um i don't know military (laughs) time so i had to had to count Oh, I know. Military time. It's, 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 it's so annoying. Uh, and as we open, you immediately know who the characters are. Uh, and specifically, the, the highlight of the film is Vince. Uh, Cassell, the first name escapes me that you mentioned, cast member. He's awesome. He, like, he, the resentment that he has, the anger, it's mm-hmm. never over the top. But from the jump, you're like, I, I, I have a grasp of who this character is. And he's awesome. Mm-hmm. I love that he emulates um, Robert De Niro's character, yeah. Taxi yep. Driver, like at the very beginning where he's doing the... You talking to me? You talking to me in this bathroom mirror. And then you get one of the... This film... Sorry to cut you off, but... No, please. This film is just visually stunning. The camera work is incredible. And then the first instance of this, you get that... The shot that goes through the mirror. Yeah. And you're just, it's those kind of shots where you're just like, how on earth did they do that? This, because this film came out, did you mention, uh, I, I think 1995, did we say that? Yeah, when it came out? Yeah, 1995. Ni- 
there's this is a world bless you this is a world where uh you don't have like drones or you know like the technology that you have today Mm -hmm. able to capture some of these shots like as you're moving from an apartment building a lot of creative crane shots that are like both moving up and down but also horizontally which is it it's crazy that they can they got that kind of speed it's insane and and to your point right the stuff that's happening like in that bathroom is it it seems like it would be so easy but technically that is so difficult to achieve and some of the close-ups that you get within this it's it's remarkable like i I completely understand now as we talked a little bit about some of these french films that that we've watched right now we kind of include this as part of the repertoire man the french are able to do such amazing things the cinematography Mm -hmm. it's remarkable yeah and i i guess we can go we're sort of talking about this about exactly 50 minutes into the movie there there's a a two second scene where there's the city skyline in the back and there's all three of the guys are just standing on a ledge and you get this incredible dolly zoom where the background basically looks like it's crashing into the foreground yeah and that's achieved by your you're rolling a dolly backwards and but you're also zooming in at the same time yeah so like spike lee really loves to do that effect in his movies and then uh, so does uh alfred hitchcock coined it and uh it's called the vertigo effect yeah um but yeah my goodness um and if we want to keep talking about technical stuff for a second yeah please um this film does something that usually is a big no-no and we we haven't talked about this sort of style before but we i mean we watched a movie together um it has background noise in the city playing at the same volume as conversation yeah um so like the music in the plaza when they're walking out the beginning is the same volume and like the cars that are going by are the same so it gives the feeling of a more lived in space and it's the same thing that luca gia dogni neo whatever (laughs) gia dogneo yeah does and call me by your name yeah 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 um but yeah throughout the whole movie it's and sometimes you're like i can't really hear what they're saying yeah even though you're reading subtitles but it's like their dialogue is getting jargled together with whatever they're doing. Yeah, and and, and you know, I, I love that. I, I I don't. I there's obviously intention to that, right? Like the the yeah yeah the decisions, it, it, like you said, it gives a like a more of a documentary style. It does, and of like this isn't a production. This is real life, right? And and that's obviously what Kasowitz is trying to achieve here, right? This idea of your fully realized, lived in. Uh, city perspective all of it and man i mean even from the jump i mean before we kind of get more into specific plot details i love that early on we are this we these characters are established in the sense that we we recognize that the lives that they lead are so directionless um even the dialogue that opens up the film well, is a microcosm for some of the larger themes, right? This idea of so far so good is a motif that plays up over and over again, right? The idea that 
it's kind of a play on this joke that this individual falls from a skyscraper and as he's passing, you know, through the different levels, things right, so far so good, so far so good. Right, and it's the idea that these individuals, these three people that we're, we're following throughout this film, you know, it's, it's something's going to happen, right? So far so good, so far so good. Their life is on this, this precipice and at some point it's all going to come crashing down. But they live this very directionless routine. Um, they're constantly finding themselves in trouble under police surveillance. Uh, we'll, we'll certainly get into that in a second. Um, but I, I love that they're not all the same, right? In the sense that, like, Vince is very much, again, that individual who's resentful, like, almost anarchist, but not anarchist. Uh, but he's, mm-hmm. out of the three of them, certainly the most, whereas we get the um, Afro-French Hubert, right? The boxer who you would think would be the most violent, right? He had the gymnasium that was destroyed in the riots. And you'd think, like, oh, like this dude's going to be the one that has the most pent-up, like, rage. And he ends up being more of the pacifist, right? More of the mm-hmm. reasonable voice. And then Saeed, who is the the Muslim, right? Uh, and he's he's the mediator, right? He's the voice of reason. He's the comedic, uh, comedic relief. Like, it, it's so apparent. And I know we mentioned this in the last film with Stand By Me, but I'll say it again here because I, I think it's true. The dialogue seems so real to me. Their interactions, right? The way that they tease mm-hmm. each other, they mess with yeah, each they, other. They sound like a bunch of... How old did you say they're? Nineteen, twenty-ish. Yeah, I, early twenties yeah. at the oldest. Like it, always making jabs at each other to the extreme. Yeah, which again? Yeah, not, go on. No, you go ahead. Go ahead. I was about to change. Oh, no, no, I was just—I I don't remember what I was going to say. It just along the lines of it. Just it's the little things like that, right? And the because of the way that this plot and story plays out is so scattershot the idea of the the consistency that these characters have throughout the film. And there's there's a little bit of a change. We'll get into it. Hubert I, at the end has a little bit of a of a change that I, I want to kind of talk about. But that's the stuff that makes it feel lived in and real and authentic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sort of the lived in space. I just love how the film isn't afraid to I mean we have a it's only an hour and thirty eight minutes, but the film isn't afraid to like just slow down for a second and just show you the sort of like Paris counterculture and the, 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 the Paris uh, projects and what these people are doing on the day to day. Yeah. And I guess there's not because of, I guess the movie could technically be probably be told in like 55 ish minutes, Yeah. but because of the pace that we're going and we're just slowing down and we're really, following these characters and getting to know them on a personal level, it makes the ending so much more effective. Yeah, it does. And last thing I want to say before we get into the movie's plot itself, it's just the new wave influences that I was noticing. It reminded me a lot of the 500 blows. Four, yeah. 400 blows. Yeah. 400 I, blows. Yeah. Whatever. Oh, I, I it must have been a typo. It was constantly in my head the entire time. And it, yeah, like dudes just wandering around the street and it's just, that's sort of a new wave staple like breathless has that too where it's just somebody's in paris for a couple days and they're just walking around yeah this guy's trying to get with a woman but they're just walking around uh there i mean there are those deep shadows and this creative cinematography and obviously black and white and then the big thing i noticed was just the just the abrupt just ending of the movie which is very very new wave-ish 
Yeah, we'll, de- so, we'll yeah. definitely get into um, that. The, the, the point of tension, right, in terms of uh, if there is a plot, it's this idea that because Abdel's in the hospital uh, and Vince has discovered, he's, he finds the lost police weapon, um, he is hell-bent on using it on a police officer there's no one in particular but he yeah. he's out if to- if their if their friend dies he's he's killing a cop he says that's right so that's the point of tension right across the whole film right we we're waiting for that moment right when something's gonna go wrong adele dies and you're like all right vince the, the hothead he's gonna use that weapon and so that's kind of the, the driving plot. i mean would you argue that that is kind of the main plot in a way or is there anything else yeah. you, would, you would kind of add to that? Yeah, yeah I, I'd say that's the, I don't know if that's the plot of the movie. Catalyst, Per maybe. se, but it's, yeah, I would say the movie's just, it, I, I don't know, it's like part of it is Sadi trying to get his money, and that leads them all over the city. Oh yeah, we'll get to that. Love and that then, on the backdrop of this giant riot that happened. Because I think the the plot is more of just like a city on the boiling point. It is, and we're just observing a little microcosm of that. It is, and it, it, and early on, it's it's one of the first sort of major events that happens is um, Vince takes the weapon and uh, they find themselves uh, trying to see Abdel. Um, his brother, Abdel's brother attempts to get revenge on the police for what happened to them and it, it triggers this confrontation with the police and uh the, the group of guys essentially escape the police and it leads to this one moment where vince is ready to shoot a riot officer mm-hmm. and that's one of the first moments where you you get the the one of the interactions between vince and hubert where hubert is basically almost in a way pleading to Vince, like, what, you know, what are you doing? Do you like this? What is this going to solve? Right. There's Abdel is one guy. You've you've skipped a part because the, 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 the brother, the Sadi's brother's friend comes and deescalates the hospital situation. Yes, you're right. And then he takes them all out. And I think he's one of the most important characters in this movie for the overall theme that we can talk about later. Yeah. But then they get involved with that other shooting. Yeah. And right. I th- I think the the brother's friend, or the gets shot in the arm in that. I think that was him that got shot. I think so. I think you're so. Right. That takes him out of the movie, which leads us to the ending. Yeah. But I mean, do you think we should just move to the ending and then work our way back if we want okay. to? Okay. Because I think the ending is what is what sort of is the lasting impact and sort of hammers all these themes home. Yeah. So basically, the film ends. Spoiler alert! With what's the guy? What's the friend's name that dies? Vince. No, 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 no the, the the hospital. The guy in the hospital. Oh, uh, Abdel. Abdel dies. They see it on the news when they're waiting. I guess they're at the train station or something, waiting for the the earliest train to come. And by the way, the way that that shot played out, I, I love the shots where. It's it's like a grid. It, it almost reminds me of like Ozymandias watching a bunch of screens and Watchmen. It's a massive mm-hmm. screen where it's like it's almost like twelve panels of news reports that are forming one image that the, the guys are watching, like crisscross applesauce on the ground, mm-hmm. and they see the Abdel news, and it's 
oh my gosh, does it hit you? Just yeah, because then, of the, the scale of that shot. And then they notice that Vince is gone, so they think that he's going off to go kill a cop, and they go up the escalators and see that he's standing in front of a cop with his hand pointed like a gun. Yeah. And then you see him pull the trigger, and then the cops fly through the door. But then you realize that's just in his head. And then, is that when they meet the neo-Nazis again? Yep. So then they're, they're walking up away, and then these neo-Nazis, the skinheads, that they're, they're calling them, that they were heckling from on top of a rooftop, um, confront them and start beating them up, and then Vince comes with his gun, and they capture one, and they're about to kill him. And then Hubert is basically like 360 on us for a second, we think, and he's like, kill this guy there's no such thing as a good nazi the That's only right. good nazi is a dead nazi um and if you kill a cop they'll just replace him with another one yep and then vince can't do it and then that sort of ends the night they get on the train and they disperse and then right after they disperse he gives hubert the gun he's walking away and then the cop who's i guess the friend of the other cop friend yeah in a notre dame jacket yeah he tries to take Sadi and Vince into custody. He's got him handcuffed against the car and then he's taunting him with his gun and then he accidentally pulls the trigger and shoot and kills Vince. So then Hubert sees this. He pulls his gun out on the cop. The cop pulls his gun out on Hubert and then the final scene is it closes in on Sadi's face and then he closes his eyes and then you just hear two gunshots and then the movie yep. ends. So, I was on the edge of my seat this whole movie. Yeah. Because I just knew something like this was going to happen. Right. It, it was, it, like I mentioned earlier, right, the point of tension for all of us as audience members was the idea that Vince had this gun. He was ready to use it on police once Abdel died. And we kind of figured that was going to be the case, right? Abdel was going to die. And sort of, what's, what is he going to do? Is he actually going to do it? Yeah. What mm-hmm. an ending. And again, it's in those last moments, too, it's... It's the repetition of that joke that they have in the film, but the opening salvo too, where it's so far so good, so far so good, and then just bang bang, right? Mm-hmm. That that perfect bookend. Um, and I kept coming back to when I was writing these notes, the so far so good thing, where you kept that's like a motif, and yep. it's just like when you're in a situation like these kids are in, it's it's almost a challenge to stay alive. And you just got to take it one day at a time. And it reminds me of a quote that I read when I was reading my book on 9-11. So for some context, uh, an artist, they worked on like the 100th floor of the North Tower. Yeah. And the night before, he he's a photographer and he took a picture of the other tower. And after everything settled down, he checked his camera and saw they had this picture. And he was he was of Spanish origin. And he titled it, Uno Nunca... Muerte la vespera, which means you cannot die on the eve of your death. So I just kept thinking of that because, like, these kids are seem like the whole movie they have one foot in the grave. Yeah, but they are they're always scraping by. Yeah. Um, but I think the one of the main topics that this movie sort of presents is: can there be a good cop in a broken system? And I think the film wants you to believe no, um, because 
we have the friend of Saeed's brother, who represents is one aspect of the good the good side. Yeah, because he tells Hubert that he's going to get a, a grant from the city to repair his gym. He gets him out of trouble multiple times, and his partner, who's in the Notre Dame jacket, the moment that he's not around to corral this dude in, he ends up killing two people and getting killed himself because if there's a good, not a good cop to be there at the moment to rein you in, you're not getting rained on. And then we have this other good cop who is there when I say good lightly. Um, but we have this other guy who's present when Saeed and Hubert are being tortured by the police after they're arrested for, yeah, I guess sort of they think they're breaking into this apartment right and this good this this good cop quote unquote is visibly visibly upset by the the treatment of both the kids but he's not doing anything to help them and his silence is sort of him taking a side and they're it's almost like they're both sides are being conditioned because they have this new cop he's being broken in like, you may not like this, but this is what we have to do. If we right. want to be good cops, we have to assert violence over the minorities and the poor. Um, and then on the other side, it's like, you get arrested once, we got to show you what it's like so you don't piss us off again. Yeah. And even if you don't agree with that, you're not, you probably aren't going to go step on the other side of the line and join the other group. So yeah, and there's a lot of bad cops, obviously. Yeah, I, it's it's interesting because I wonder how this film would be perceived by people who I, I'll say this depending on age, political affiliation, especially in a world now, right, where in 1995 certainly there are there's issues of police brutality not only in Europe but also in America, right? There things were happening. Um, I can think of West Coast examples um, and race riots, but. Even today, right in this in this reality that police brutality is is something that's more apparent uh, than ever, right? Because of media uh, and and just public awareness, I'm curious how this film is perceived by those who are maybe pro anti police, right? In terms of you know if you fall along those lines, because I think I think you'll have such different mm-hmm. uh, emotions and pathos for specific characters i think i think that's what's so interesting right it, we're viewing this through the eyes of 2024 i mean even you know four five six years ago you know we probably even look at this even differently when things were kind of at its height in terms of mm-hmm. you know police abuse yeah i i read i one of the film festivals this film was appearing at the cops turned their backs to the director and producers when they walked in that's as crazy. a sign that they were not happy with it. Um, it's funny. Yeah, I, well, I'll oh, say, sorry, I'll, I'll say this before you move on with that. So to kind of add on that point, I saw, and I'm going to get this completely wrong, uh, the little details, but I, I think when this film came out, the French ministry, the government, the bureaucracy, uh, whatever whatever their system is, they the bureaucracy, the government, the people in charge, essentially, they were, they were, forced to watch this film to sort of address uh and acknowledge the social issues of yeah. france Dang. which is crazy right like it's like the equivalent of the the president of the united states right saying hey you know our cabinet or you know whoever the senate the congress whatever like we you're you're 
you have to watch this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that I think is interesting is the fact that our three main characters are all, I'll call them, they're others. They're not the typical white French descendant. We have, even though Vince is white, he's Jewish. And yep. then you have a black a black guy, and then you have an Arab. Yep. And even throughout the film, Vince is still sort of profiting off of his whiteness because he he wasn't the one that was targeted by the neo-Nazis and right. had racial slurs thrown at him. He uh, He's benefiting from looking like the others. That's right. So in that way, I think Hubert stands out as one of the film's biggest victims, in my mind. Dude was always being harassed. Because beyond just that, he's so anti-violent at the beginning of the movie. Yep. Just pleading to everybody to just calm down. And... He talks about, oh, like they're good cops. Like you, you got to have the good cops. Um, he repeatedly talks about how he can't take being in the projects anymore. He has to get out. Um, and he has the he's his gym is burnt down, and then he's literally pushed to his breaking point, watching his friend die, to where he thinks he has no other option. Yeah. Um, what was he doing in the one scene in his bedroom where he heated the knife up, knife up and cut that bar? I have no idea what that was about. Yeah, I had no idea what that was. I, that's a that's a great point. That was I can make no sense of that one. Yeah, um, but like this movie is all about like role fulfillment. Like the role you think you have in society is the role that you you sort of cling to and align with. Because I don't feel like any of these the the guys in this movie were particularly like rotten eggs. No, like when they were alone, they weren't acting the way they did when they were together. But yep. once they got together, they started acting like they were hooligans because I think that's what they thought the other people were like. Correct. Yeah. Because Hubert was a—he's a business owner, and you see, you see, Viz has this big loving family, and said he has the family, and then he has the little sister that he's constantly worried about. Yep. But then when they get together, they're stealing cars or they're breaking, trying to. Not they're not breaking into apartments, but they're playing with stolen guns and yep. And it's just sort of sad to see these guys that are trying to make the best of their situation, but they're sort of stuck in this. They're stuck in the projects, and they're stuck with all the baggage that goes along with that. No, I I couldn't say that better myself. Yeah, no, I that's that's super apparent. Um, and just to to kind of fill in some gaps between, uh the beginning and end of the film there there are some moments that like this the stuff we've been talking about right like it's it's super heavy and it's super interesting and it's the stuff that that really fuels the movie but the stuff that really stood out to me specific scenes um after they have uh confrontation with the police they nearly escape vince is, is ready to shoot like a riot officer they end up in a public restroom you, you know what scene i'm referring to oh yeah and this Polish. Oh, if you're wondering, for the, for those wondering, I wrote this down. After they escape, after punching the riot officer, and you get that scene where it holds on to that, like the graffiti on the wall. Yeah. Um, I looked it up. That is a slur for um, "f your mother." Nice. <laughs> Love it. They uh. In this I thought, when I looked it up, I thought I was like, this might have more meaning than right. And um, I was like, okay, it's just a slur. I'm glad you did. <laughs> um, in this restroom. They encounter this this 
survivor, I, I guess he's a Polish survivor from stuff that was going on with the, the Russians at the time. And he has this anecdote. They're, they're kind of talking about their next move, right? The three of them, Vince, uh, Vince Saeed, and Hubert, they're kind of debating, like, what do we do next? And this old man comes out of the bathroom and he's talking about how <laughs> he's recounting a story about a, a man that he knew who froze to death after he refused to relieve himself in public uh, near the, the transport train that they were being moved across like cattle. Um, and he failed to, to reboard the train in time because he was so shy about going to the bathroom. Like he would kind of go off to the side in the bushes. And it's this weird story, right? It seems like it's out of nowhere, right? You could easily take it out of the film. And it's, it's funny because it becomes very meta. Like the trio of, of these guys, they are so confused by what this man just told them and they're literally like yeah when said he's like what yeah is he talking about right saeed's like what was the point of that and then that immediately like you as the audience member are like what is the point of that and then you are ready like the rest of the film like i am over here trying to analyze when is this going to come back into play or like how can i use this as a metaphor for something that comes later on Is, is there anything that you got from that like is there anything that you could connect yeah, I, I guess because the, the guy talks about how he was like, was pushing his friend, like he was teasing him Yeah, about how he wouldn't, because he says everyone would, they wouldn't go number two and inside the train. Yeah. So when the train stopped, they would run out and they would all relieve themselves on the tracks, yeah. like right out there. And he wouldn't, the guy wouldn't, and he'd go off and he got left. And he was like, well, I was part of the reason why he, he, uh, he died. So yeah. I, I took it as like this guy was offering sort of like, don't rag on your friends too much. Don't push them to the point where uh, there's no coming back. And I guess it's sort of the payoff at the end is, even though it's not them doing that, these kids were pushed to the point where they thought they had a decision to make that they needed to make it and it ended in two deaths. Sure. I guess three deaths technically. Yeah, I, I love that. I, th- I think that's a that's a great explanation. Um, I, I was left, I was left trying to piece that together. Um, and then immediately following that, there's a scene where they end up taking a train to, I, I guess, the heart of France. I, I could be wrong, mm-hmm. Paris, and um, they visit this dude, and I, I have his name here. Although I might mispronounce Snoopy. It. Snoopy. Yeah, I, I guess uh, they mentioned him at one point as Asterix, I believe. And he's this druggy cocaine user. He owes money uh, to Saeed. That's basically, that's basically stole a house. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Saeed's looking to collect the money and it leads to this visit. And it's, and it's hilarious the way that it plays out. They're trying to like uh, call in uh, like on the boxes and they, they can't reach in initially. And it's this confusion. But they end up inside and you know something bad's going to happen. It's things seem like they're okay, like Saeed and this dude are cool. And then uh, he gets in this weird scuffle with Vince where they end up doing a version of Russian roulette. Like this dude is crazy. Like he's off the wall. Like it's, it's very obvious. Like he was doing drugs. And it's this crazy moment again where it just adds a little bit to the tension for us as audience members where this dude's playing Russian roulette. And you're like, all right, when's, when's the shoe going to drop? And then he forces he tries to force Vince to do the same and Vince loses his his cool because he kinda is messing with Vince, kinda slapping him around. 
and you're like, is this the moment where Vince loses it? And again, that, that moment was super striking. And then immediately following that, like it's, it seems just one after another. You, you mentioned this one already, but Saeed and Hubert are then taken by like undercover police officers for reasons that I guess, like you said, they figured they were just breaking into the apartment mm-hmm. complex. And the police officers like take him back to their headquarters. Vince escapes, but they take Saeed and Hubert and they're basically verbally abusing them. And it's this weird montage where they're, they're, it's like two cops that are like messing with them, but then they're training that third cop who doesn't say a word. He's just learning. And it's this crazy, like, and you know, I don't, I don't know if I'm reading too much into it, but it's right. The idea that, this corruption is just spreading, right? It's like, like it's being passed mm-hmm. down, right, to the next, right? Again, the idea is so far so good, right? It's, the shoe's going to drop, right? Something, the tension's going to happen. Like this never-ending cycle of like, this is what's wrong. And again, we're just, we're showing it off for the, for the other people who are going to do the same thing over and over again. Like that's yeah. such a striking, and it's, and it's so, uh, not tense is the right word, and it's not awkward, but it's, it's uncomfortable like what they're doing to them. And mm-hmm. you're like, what, what's happening? Like you feel it, like you feel icky. You feel like, ugh. Like, I don't know. It's such a good moment. Yeah. So those speaking, scenes. Yeah. Speaking on that scene, when they first get into France and in into Paris, into the heart, like Paris proper, uh, I think Saeed asks one of the cops for directions. And then he comes back and says, oh, the cops are so nice in the city. He even called me sir. Yeah. So for a moment, they're able to sort of escape the injustice that they feel that they've has been inflicted on them. But then within an hour, they get snapped back into reality when these cops have profiled them and are now assaulting them. Yeah. And it's also the backdrop of this message that keeps popping up, which is, what was it? The world is ours. Is that what it says? Yeah. It, that's, what they, that's what they turn it to. It's like the world what, what? is your. It's like the world, the is, world yours, is yours, and then Saeed will change yeah. it to the world is ours. Yeah. So like the, that message of like the world is yours, like is undercut at every moment, at every act of injustice that we're seeing, and how the poor and minority classes are sort of the ones that are inf- being inflicted on by this violence. Yeah. And. and- to your point about like the classism, right? E- even after that scene, right? There's another one where the three guys end up in this like fancy hotty toddy art gallery, right? And they're mm-hmm. they're themselves. They try to act a little bit different and a little bit more, you know, of feeling like they they belong there. They're trying to fit in, and then it, it takes a turn for the worst. And then they just really let themselves like they expose who they really are, and they cause a scene. Um, but even that right highlights like there's this, this different ideas of classism that just happens throughout the film. And again, that's another moment. There's another scene, right? Why would you add something like that? Well, you know, probably it's to show that. Well, it's almost because they were being civil and cordial until their own insecurities were projected back onto them right. by others. Correct. <clears throat> and that's exactly. And then they became is. who others thought they were. Exactly. Right. So that's, Again, the heavy stuff. And then what follows that immediately? It's the comedic scene where they're hot wiring this car and this drunkard comes up to them whose wife just left him. Right? And it's this funny moment. Again, it breaks the tension and it's like that's that's the beauty part of this film, right? We tackle that subject and then it 
the next moment you get to breathe, you kind of get a kind of just exhale because you get a scene where the, they're just bickering how to hotwire a car. And then this other dude's like, oh, like, you know, which goes up to, oh, here comes the cops. Like, you better get out of here. And it's like, what is this dude doing? It's just, it's hilarious. So that's it. I thought the film did a really good job of sort of tackling the seriousness with the, the levity mm-hmm. at the same time. All right, Nicholas, I've, I've read, read all my notes. So is there anything else you want to say? No, I, I think we covered, I mean, you, we already kind of covered the ending there. Um, I think we kind of filled in the gaps. Um, it's amazing. It really is. And again, I, I know we spoke on this already, but this was the first time maybe since 400 Blows, Persona, I can't even remember, but like cinematography was something that really stood out. And sometimes, right, when you say that cinematography stands out, that can be a bad thing because sometimes mm-hmm. you maybe don't need to notice it, but it's, this is in a good When it's way. good, when you're blown away by it, you know what I mean? Right. And, and that's exactly what it was. Okay. So let's move on. We already know that I'm, this movie is, I would say it's almost a masterpiece. It might be. I might need to watch it again. Yeah. What's your uh, my my rating is a nine point three. Holy cow! That I will say it, it's it's already higher than my top film from last year and the year before. Wow. Nine point three. Uh, so I'm at an eight point eight. Okay, we're not we're not that far. We're no, not that far. Not at all. And I will say. I sort of, I sort of biff my big reveal there. I, <laughs> since I bet on Letterboxd, I've reviewed 545 films. Yeah, only 23 of them had gotten five stars. Today I wrote a 24th into five my star. book, five stars. Wow! So you wow, heard it here first, folks. Zach Chastain loves it a fan five stars all the accolades up there in terms of favorite films that he's seen in the last three years let's see because la la land was number one last year at a 9.1 yeah blade runner 2049 was 2022's film of the year at 9.2 yeah 2021 i didn't get a single nine it was memories of murder at an 8.7 wow 2020 i had a 9.2 with seven samurai and then 2019 was a 9.1. Wow. That's incredible. Well, there you go, audience. You have our ratings. Now comes the big moment, right? Does the film move on? The Incredibles has been, Zach, on a four-week, three-week, four-week streak? Let's, I, think, I think three. I think three sounds about right. Three. Um, this, would, this, is, this is the fourth film it's going up, I think. Yeah, it went up against, if you count, it went up against its first film when we reviewed it. Then The Wizard of Oz, Pirates, now today. No, same by me. So this is its fifth time that's been up for the the vote. And you have not hit the fact that this film is moving on. And Zach, I have to say, although I do not feel that this film, I I loved it. I did. Uh, I, I don't think I loved it as much as you did. Um, but all that being said, technically, this film, story, character, acting, cinematography, sound, I know we didn't really mention sound, I, I love the use of... Yeah, uh, we, I did, I sort of talked about... A little bit, yeah. And I, a little I, bit, a little I also, bit. I also love some of the, the choices that were made in terms of uh, the music, 
Um, this film, without a doubt, moves on. It moves Perfect. on. It Woo. moves on. The podcast continues, boys and yes. girls. And look, The Incredibles is a perfect animated film. I have no, uh, no quarrels or qualms saying that. I, I'm not afraid to say it. This film is much more difficult to make. The, the subject matter is so much more difficult to tackle. And I, like you, I could rewatch this film a lot. I could see myself and doing it. And it's such it. a quick watch, too. It is. It, it is. It it absolutely must move on. But man, that ending, I haven't I haven't sat that still after the final cut, like the final credits rolled since that come and see. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I think after the film finished, I I think I audibly said out loud, I was like, oh wow. Or I, you know, like I and it's just you know do that, right? You just kind of slept in it. I was like, oh man. Like what what do I do with my life next? Like what what do I do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, without a doubt. Incredibles, loved you. We'll miss you. Lahane, peace. La- La- peace. La- I've been trying. I've been trying to get rid of you for weeks now. Lahane, <laughs> La- absolutely moves on. I have no problem with that whatsoever. All right. Um, perfect. Some housekeeping. Next week it is The Exorcist, and Nicholas, it's your question. So have you have you brought a question with us? And a fellow has. Uh oh. Uh oh. Can I can I can I give you one NFL thing that will boil your your blood? Yeah, let's hear it. Uh Kyle Shanahan was 0 and 30 before today, entering the fourth quarter with a trailing by five or more. And now he is one and thirty. Didn't need that. That that makes me sick. Um but a, a question um, that I come up with on the spot here. Um, <laughs> um, Just spit it out. Just first thing that comes to your mind. All I'm thinking of is sports. That's all that's in my head right now. This is a problem. Um, it could be simple. Favorite director. Favorite. Favorite movie moment. I like that in action. I do enjoy that. What is yeah. Not a movie. Not a favorite movie. What is the what is the when you sat yourself down on that couch in that movie theater seat, what's that moment that it's like unforgettable, right? When they play those clips, like the compilations, like the most epic, greatest, awesome movie moments that can make you cry, make you laugh, make you cheer, make you feel powerful. What's that moment? What is the one that you 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 want to just capture time and time again? It gets you. What's that All moment? Right. So I'll sim- simplify it. What's your favorite movie moment? What is it? What's that moment? All right. So we'll catch you next week with The Exorcist. But in the meantime, you can catch up with our previous episodes at the Close Screening Podcast. Go listen to anything you haven't listened to before. Follow us on X at Close Screening. And uh, if you're not following us on Spotify, click follow, answer the polls, type your Q&As up, and we'll see you next week. Same time, same place.